Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are in this kind of weird liminal space right now. Uh, we're about uh, maybe exactly, what is it, uh, two weeks and a day after uh, the presidential election, actually after the national election, uh, which obviously included the presidential election. And I would say we're actually two weeks from when we knew basically who the winner was. Uh, you know, sometime on Wednesday, November 4th, we basically knew that Joe Biden was going to be the next president. It certainly wasn't a, a, a total certainty yet. And it was, I guess, I think it was the following Saturday that the media organizations finally got around to calling it and, and saying that Joe Biden was uh, the next president of the United States. But pretty much two weeks since we've known uh, what the score is. And yet we are still in this very weird, liminal election space where the outgoing president certainly has not admitted that he lost. And the uh, pr the uh, Trump campaign, you know, usually after the, after the election is over, the campaign is over. And there's usually someone they put in charge as a caretaker because you have to wind down debts and stuff like that and some miscellaneous stuff. And usually sometime early the following year, you hear an announcement like, oh, you know, the the Biden campaign officially shuttered today when the final debts, whatever. It's always a little harder for the challenge, you know, for the loser because those debts are a little harder to settle because you lost. No one wants to get, you know, give more money to a losing campaign. And yet we're in this weird kind of space where it is increasingly clear. Not only did Joe Biden win. We knew that on Wednesday. We knew that the day after. Now we know that not only it's unfortunate that they're two separate things, but not only did he win, but he's also going to be the next president. And yet you have these just increasingly brazen and direct efforts to quite literally throw out the results of the election. And I actually did a post on this this morning that we need to be really thankful to the Biden campaign, to Joe Biden, to all of Joe Biden's voters, uh, 78, you know, almost 80 million people, maybe it will eventually be 80 million people uh, around the United States, for the fact that it was not close. Because if it were close, this would be a different situation. If this were down to one state, if, if Joe Biden had won the Electoral College by, say, 10 electoral votes, or even more if it was, uh, you know, uh, 270 to 268, where any switch changes the outcome, then these, th these little weird contests around the country would be going very differently. One of the securities that we have, A, uh, is that, again, no individual state is even that close. Georgia is the closest, but 10,000 votes is a big margin. Um, and in fact, they actually did find some more uh, Trump votes in one county, like something like 1,500 votes. Uh, and that is actually on the high end. In, I mean, the average recount ends up shifting the vote count in an American election by, you know, 200 votes, 250 votes, something like that. If it changes it by a couple thousand votes, that's a, that is a big change. When you're down 12 or 15,000 votes, it's not enough. In Pennsylvania, it's going to be almost 100,000 votes. Uh, I think in Michigan, it's, is it something like 150,000? I mean, in Michigan, it's like two or three percentage points. It's, it's not close at all. Uh, so, so, that is one issue. And again, there's just, he'd have to do this in three different states. It's not going to happen. And, and yet, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, you have these, again, increasingly brazen attempts. And in this case in Michigan that, we're, that we'll talk about in a moment, 
I think one thing we can take from that is not only the fact that that Republicans around the country appear entirely comfortable with just saying, we're going to throw out the results of the election and we're going to give ourselves the electors. Normally, you come up with some rationale. Well, you know, there was this cheating or or this or that or the other or or this kind of vote didn't meet some legal standard or something like that. Uh, But they're not even they're, they're not even doing that. And I think what happened last night is to show the kind of bubble these folks are in. That they've kind of, you know, you're living in that kind of OANN Fox Newsmax world where you think, oh, wow, you know, it turns out if this one little functionary does this one thing, then uh, we can just say the election didn't happen. I mean, it's remarkable. Before we get to all that good stuff, let me remind you uh, about our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. There are two kinds of cold brew drinkers out there. Fairweather friends who switch to hot coffee when the temperature dips and everyone else is. I think David's one of those people. With 36 (laughs) servings per bag, Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit gives you the space to explore your coffee preferences for less than a buck a cup. Brew it hot on frigid mornings or spike it over ice for a chilly winter cocktail. Our velvety smooth coffee concentrate is brewed strong for every season. Ride out the winter by quarantining with Grady's and treat yourself to delicious gourmet coffee with, without stepping outside. And and seriously, I mean, with, with not to be jocular about it, but uh, with the COVID situation getting uh, worse, at least in the short term, Stay inside. Uh, ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. All right, David. All right. Well, Josh, Fairweather fair <laughs> ice coffee drinker. What's up? You're right. You're right to put me on blast. That's not wrong. But um, you know what? I do enjoy a nice afternoon Grady's to kind of keep me keep me going. So I, I dabble in both. Um, well, I thought we could talk about... The situation in Michigan that you alluded to, uh, which kind of induced a bit of whiplash last night, right? I think right around 6 or 7 p.m., uh, Wayne County in Michigan, I think it's the largest county in Michigan. It includes the city of Detroit, um, you know, a predominantly black city. Uh, deadlocked two to two, two Republicans, two Democrats, uh, to not certify the results of the election there and not, um, you know, kind of begin the formal process of certifying the election and delivering the electoral votes to Joe Biden. I think, uh, is it one of the, is it Monica? Some, one of the, um, Monica Palmer, I believe. Palmer, right. Yeah. Said something like she would be willing to certify something like all of the, all of the votes except for Detroit or something like that. Right. Um, almost word for word. Yeah, and she, word and, for and word. that was really what kind of, kind of put the story over the edge by making that as crystal clear. Right. As exactly. She made so, it. Right. So we're in this, like you say, Josh, we're in this kind of topsy-turvy situation where everyone knows the reality of the election, the outcome, and that Biden will ultimately become the president. But walk us through kind of what happened last night and the, you know, the the ultimate reversal to allow the certification. Just kind of catch readers up if they haven't been following it quite so closely. So I assume, given that it's Wayne County and given that it's it's dominated electorally by Detroit, that they have one of these systems there where these the, the board of canvassers automatically gets one, you know, two Republicans and two Democrats. It's split, you know, even so basically saying both parties have to agree it was legit before it's certified. And the two Republicans just basically said, no, we're not going to certify it. And then it's deadlocked. And so an IE deadlocked mean it can't be, you know, can't be certified. And so suddenly, if you follow, if you play that out, suddenly a huge number of Biden voters, because again, the the county is dominated by Detroit, a huge number of Democratic voters, almost certainly enough to give the state to give the state to uh, Donald Trump, um, are just just disappear. And in the course, it was one of these things where I believe there were reporters at the um, at the meeting of this board. I I think it may have been, I'm not sure it was like telecast, but there was probably some, you know, maybe it was on a Zoom call you could be part of. And the chair of that board, who's a, you know, local GOP functionary who runs some dark money pack on the side, um, she said, I'd be willing to, 
I'd be willing to certify if we just leave out the community. She said the communities in Detroit, which, you know, it, what they what they were basically doing is saying they're, they're like almost I mean, there are obviously African-Americans who live outside of the city of Detroit in Michigan. But that is a huge concentration of the black voters in that state. And just saying, like, we're just going to we're just going to toss them. So she, so she 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 sort of, uh, you know, made what she probably should have left vague, explicitly clear. Everybody was sort of stunned by this because, again, it's sort of you think, wow, there's no way this is really going to stand up. And yet it happened. And and we're kind of, you know, we live in that Mitch McConnell universe right now where people can do things that their uh, de jure power allows them to do. And you can sort of say, oh, you can't do that. No way. That's never been, you know, you can't. And yet you can do it. And the uh the head of the Michigan Republican Party jumped on Twitter, put out a press release saying this is awesome, great. This is a first step to uh Jenna well, Ellis, one of the I think that's her name, one of the Trump campaign lawyers yeah, said one of huge the Trump, win for Trump. Huge win for Trump and said explicitly this is what what's going to happen here is cuz I guess that there's so there's the county level, but then there's another uh canvassing board at the state level, and that is the one that in a situation like this comes in and says, "Okay, whatever your guy's problem is, we're just going to certify it. But that's also uh, two to two. So they could do it. And basically they had worked through in their head this scenario where it's a series of deadlocks and then it gets tossed to the state legislature, which is controlled by Republicans. And this is that thing that has been sort of lurking in the background through this process that there is at least an argument, although it gets a little complicated in different, you know, depending on the laws of different states, that the state legislature has kind of plenary power to just say, you know what, we don't think this was a legitimate election. We're gonna we're gonna give our electors to Trump. So they're totally on board. No misgivings. They're completely on board. They're saying this is the first step. Finally, the president gets you know gets in and tweets about it. Says, awesome. We're you know we're cooking with fire now. And then uh, all of a sudden, they just they just certified it, and it was done. And they kind of left these 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 you know uh, Republican hacks and the president sort of out on a limb that that broke off under them. And uh, I, I've I, I know some people who are kind of you know pretty tied into Democratic politics on the ground in Michigan. And apparently, what happened is is not surprisingly, people were pretty fucking pissed off in the city of Detroit and in Wayne County and probably in the whole state. And those two, I don't know, uh, there's uh, Monica Palmer, the chair of the commission, and then another guy whose name I, I don't remember at the moment. I think they were kind of blown away and just said, okay, this is too hot. We're, we're, we're done. And so, again, what was really striking to me, though, is that what did they think was going to happen? Did they think like no one was paying attention to like whether whether the, the, the votes in the city of Detroit were counted or not? And at some level, maybe, um, you know, you're on the board of canvassers for a county. You're not doing a lot of press conferences, right? You're not like uh, you're probably not making an appearance at the convention. You're probably used to it's a pretty small time thing. You're not supposed to. Th- to do stuff like that. You're, you're, it's a process position. Uh, and yet I really think that the big thing I took away from it as I was, as I was alluding to in the intro is that they're in this kind of bubble where, you know, out of Nevada also yesterday, the Trump electors in Nevada, remember, there's a slate of Biden electors, a slate of Trump electors, and depending on who wins the state, those electors go to the Electoral College. The uh, Trump electors sued, I believe in federal court, that the results of the election should be thrown out and they should be sent to the Electoral College. Like, what, what universe does that make sense, right? But it shows you how... Um, a total disregard for free and fair elections has become 
the dominant ethos in the Republican Party because of Donald Trump. Not entirely because of Donald Trump. We're, we're decent, you know, we're, we're pretty far down this road. But he has taken it away from, oh, you know, we need voter ID and we need to, uh, you know, kind of do all these kind of uh, restrictions to make sure there are no undocumented uh, residents voting and all these kind of things to just saying, uh, you know, that, that great, ele- you know, whatever, we don't care. We won because we want to win. Yeah, I think I have two thoughts on this situation. The first is related to what you were just saying, Josh, which is there was still a part of me, even after everything we'd seen these past four years, that thought as soon as Trump was a loser, Republicans were going to jump ship. That, you know, it was some degree, uh, I scratched your back, you scratched mine situation, that they were going to be happy to unload the baggage. And I've just been proved so, so wrong on that front, you know, in the in the way of what you were just detailing, Josh, that not only are these people willing to stick by Trump when he's not, you know, on top anymore, the extent to which they are just gleefully cheering for the demolition of the democracy to help their guy win, you know, even when it's abundantly clear that the only way you can do that is by just outright cheating. You know, it doesn't bother them. Loyalty to Trump is more important. You know, just this past weekend, we had the quote unquote million MAGA march here in D.C. And, you know, all these people were carrying signs that said stop the steal. And, you know, to some degree, I think it was meant to be a cathartic experience for them and the way that they got to come tear down the signs people put up in front of the White House, you know, try to come to BLM Plaza and get in fights with people. But, you know, it's just this delusion is so widespread. And it's so scary because I feel like, you know, to me and to most people who are following this, it's just every time you see something like the story out of Michigan last night, it stops your heart for a second until you kind of read people saying, talking you off the cliff, you know, this either this won't work or this won't be enough or X, Y, Z, you know, you need people to convince you that the the kind of haul he would have to achieve to overturn the election is so great. But it's you just see these little these events that are happening constantly that they're trying to pull off in any battleground state that kind of just gives you heart palpitations for a second because, you know, you're like, oh, can he actually do this? Is this a is this a way to circumvent the you know, the kind of guardians of our democracy that people didn't foresee. And again and again, we've seen either due to their incompetence or in this Michigan case, especially the power of sunlight as the disinfectant. You know, the fact that this was brought to people's attention through the press and people were so angry that they weren't able to pull it off. But the scary thing is when any of the links, those links in the chain are missing, it just becomes so clear how close to the precipice we are and how many Republican people in either elected positions or positions of power over our elections are so ready and willing to just shred any semblance of a democracy to make sure the Republicans win. And the only thing that's kept us from getting to that this point is largely not the integrity of Republicans who are in these positions, but the fact that Joe Biden won by too much, that the press has done a really good job bringing these various attempts to, you know, overturn the vote to light. And the fact that people's outrage is kind of keeping these people from being as brazen as they otherwise might be. But I just think part of the the limbo we're in right now is because even if you're someone who's excited that Joe Biden won and feels like our democracy is getting another shot, this post-election display has been so shameful and so dangerous that I think it's, you know, it's a balm, you know, that we're getting a new president in January, but it is so saddening and concerning what we're seeing right now. And every time you kind of try to play that forward, it just, you get a whole host of really disastrous options. Yeah, I think you made some really good points, Kate. I mean, I I had a similar reaction when I saw 
these two news events unfold last night, both in Michigan and Nevada, it makes your stomach drop a little bit, right? And it's um, seeing them kind of not exactly simultaneous, but kind of happening the same night. It is, you realize like how fragile some of that, some of those processes can be, right? And I think it's, um, it is good and important to remember, okay, these are extreme long shot efforts, but still, um, they're going for it and it's in plain view. And, you know, obviously the Wayne County, you know, certification ended up happening, but it took a little while and, you know, we could have woken up this morning and it, and it wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have resolved itself. And, um, you know, I have friends who aren't as kind of political junkie as, as we are, who are kind of worried about that too, right? Like, Oh, is, is this actually going to happen? Is, is Trump going to pull this off? And, um, clearly like all of this kind of muddying things up has just a corrosive effect on people in general, right. On just believing that things will go the way they are supposed to, or go the way that, you know, the American people, uh, clearly voted for. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's dangerous and damaging and it's, it feels like we haven't quite even hit the bottom of it yet. Right. Even after we've had four long years of Trump, day after day, uh, blowing things up. Now we have people all the way down the line, like these kind of, you know, supposedly nonpartisan canvassing boards who are all of a sudden putting their foot, uh, out in front of things. So yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's worrying. That's kind of all I, I would, I would say. say too. And you know, this is something I think we really have to keep a focus on that. One of the reasons it's not getting off the ground is that if you are, say, the Republican leadership of the state legislature in Michigan, or you're one of these other sort of stakeholders or stakeholder groups that would have to get on board, no one wants to do that lift and just get, you know, kind of knock Trump's electoral college margin, you know, down to losing by 50 electoral votes. That's, no one, no one, has, the, no one has the stomach for that. You, you, you're willing to, you, you may be willing to do it if you're going to change the result, but not just to kind of be a dick, right? And and I don't know, it, I think Michigan has maybe 16 electoral, I can't remember, it's it's less than, less than Pennsylvania, which has 20. But again, in itself, it doesn't matter. I think, I think, I think there's, I think any way you do, you have to do three states, you have to, you know, and, and so there's this kind of game theory thing, right, where uh, maybe if they could all kind of, you know, kind of coordinate a little better and say, all right, we're all going to jump at once. But even jumping isn't quite the thing because the state laws are a little different in each case. Uh, you, inevitably, you need um, you, you need uh, federal judges to get involved and you're in different districts and stuff. So that is one of the things that is protecting us here. And that itself is is pretty scary because again, if it were down to one state, this would be different. This would be different. Trust me, people would be more willing to take that leap if if the whole thing were really at stake. I keep thinking about what you said, Josh. I think before the election, uh, you know, we were talking about would the Supreme Court step in? How would Amy Coney Barrett, you know, rule? in favor or not of Trump if, if a case got to, uh, got to the Supreme Court. And you were making the point that if it looks like Trump's going down, no one wants to kind of c- attach themselves to a loser, uh, someone who is, who is sinking. And it feels like there is a bit, there's enough of a buffer that's keeping judges and, you know, even some elected Republican officials from kind of fully going the, with that nuclear option. And I guess, like you say, it's, it's a good thing it wasn't wasn't super close because otherwise maybe we would find ourselves in that situation. Yeah, and it's important to say judges, even 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 judges who are not like trying to go for the whole thing, right? Politics affects even in even in ways that are unavoidable how judges act. You know, because you see, and I haven't even looked in a lot of these cases, like who the, you know who appointed these different judges. But just in the last like 48 hours, you've seen a number of judges either in rulings or in statements from the, from the bench basically saying, are you really asking me to just throw out all of these legal votes? Like, how can you be asking me that? That's shocking, right? You're not going to have people saying that. 
in in if 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 things were tighter. No one wants to be on the on the wrong side. And as as you said, you know, it's not close. And that's sort of what's saving us here. And that's also one of the most gruesome things about where we are to me is that it's not close. No one thinks that Trump can really kind of hijack the election at this point. And yet you have the vast majority of elected Republicans refusing to say that he lost the election. You know, you have some of them amplifying these ridiculous accusations or, you know, the MAGA world's kind of gripping on to usual human normal mistakes made in the election as proof of, you know, the malice of every election worker from this battleground state. And that is what I find so alarming. I just think it shows so clearly that if this election came down to the nightmare scenario we've been talking about for months, say, hinging on Pennsylvania, being litigated in court, being drawn out over weeks, giving Trump the space he needed to make these claims, I just don't think we can be in any doubt at this point that those institutional Republicans, whether they be elected officials, judges, elections, workers, you know, anyone who'd be involved in that case, I just don't think we could say with any certainty at this point that they would not have gleefully hopped on that train to give Trump the election, no matter what the vote said. And that's something that was in doubt when we were coming into this election. It's something we were worried about. And now we're looking at an election that wasn't particularly close. And almost no prominent Republicans are willing to admit that the election was fair and that Trump lost fair and square. That is so deeply frightening to me. And what happens next time? You know, what happens if we have a closer election? Is that it? You know, from now on, do Democrats have to win by multiple states? They don't only have to win in an electoral college system that is decidedly slanted against them, but they have to win decisively every time. I mean, that seems like we are careening for a constitutional crisis sooner rather than later if these are the parameters we're working within at this point. Let me make another sort of related but distinct point. I think this is another case where and and. Uh, the Biden campaign got some grief for this uh, before, you know, before the election, that they basically resisted all of the push to try to, you know, expand the map, start, you know, doing stuff down in down in Texas and, and, you know, all these other, you know, kind of Texas, Ohio, North Carolina. I mean, they obviously did contest Florida and North Carolina. Um, They contested Georgia enough to win it. I mean, I did, um, I remember, uh, talking, uh, talking to some people in, you know, knowledgeable people inside the campaign that they didn't think they were going to win Florida, you know, the day of, or the, you know, the night before, not that they weren't going to try, not that they didn't think it was possible, but they weren't optimistic about Florida, and they were cautiously optimistic about, about Georgia. So losing Florida was not a big shock to them. But the big thing was they really, from start to finish, kept the focus on Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and they were vindicated on that since, um, to, you know, it's not... It, the the different you know if you talk about the national vote it's it's maybe you know poll said seven or eight percentage points it's probably going to end up being about five that's not that far off right it it, it is off but not that far off um, uh, but it's certainly closer than a lot of us thought uh, you know which which was a little uh, painful to 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 experience in 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 real time but they kept their eyes on the ball and we can see that that was absolutely critical because those both all three ended up being close races you know michigan you know what's close and what's not i think it's i think it's like three percentage points that's not terribly close uh but wisconsin's what like 20 20 000 votes that's really close not close enough to like win it on a recount but like that's pretty close Right. You make some different decisions and you don't have uh, Ben Weekler and his crew, you know, kind of doing everything they can for 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 four years, basically. Uh, they kept their eye on the ball and, and they they deserve a lot of credit for that. Well, speaking of um, Georgia, Kate, I thought maybe we could kind of 
head down south and take a look at what's going on there. Uh, one of our favorite TPM characters, Senator Lindsey Graham, has been up to uh, up to no good, calling the Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger. It is Brad, right? Um, uh, asking, hey, Brad, uh, about those uh, Biden votes, any chance we can just get rid of some of those? Um, you know, this obviously upset Raffensperger enough to call up the Washington Post and dish on this like kind of insane sounding phone call. So, you know, this not even to mention the, um, you know, the two runoff elections that are fast approaching, but there's these kind of, you know, antics going on in other states too. What, uh, what's kind of the latest there? What if, what can you tell us about what Graham is trying to do and what the dynamics are on the ground and how Raffensperger, you know, is responding to, to this outside pressure? Well, it's funny because Raffensperger has kind of emerged as this hero to Democrats in Georgia because um, he has been quite vocal, pushing back against Trump. Um, like you say, went to the press with this very, you know, I don't, I don't want to take away the danger of what Lindsey Graham did, but the kind of half-hearted. So uh, what can we do about those ballots is kind of like just, you know, as ludicrous as it is dangerous. But so, you know, Raffensperger has been out in front um, defending the election that he administered. But, you know, the other side of this is he has done so by also touting these suppressive tactics that he, um, you know, and his posse have put into effect since he's been in the position, you know, which includes tight restrictions for signature matching, um, ID restrictions for mail-in voting, you know, the kind of old school Republican voter suppression um, that, so it's, it's funny because I spoke to, um, this woman who's uh, very into the kind of grassroots organizing for Democrats in Georgia. And she just said in passing to me how, you know, he's a Republican, but he's doing a great job. And you're just going to like, that shows you how low the bar is right now that he's this Republican we're kind of holding up as the paragon of uh, integrity in this time while he has made his career proudly making it harder for Georgians and specifically people who tend to vote Democrat to vote there. Um, and it's also yeah. not like he's some like Romney type. He's right. a pretty hardcore Trumper. Oh I mean, yeah. He you know, admitted he was, you know, disappointed that the recount wouldn't probably wouldn't change the result. Um, yeah. So you have that dynamic happening. And then all the other Republicans in Georgia and apparently in South Carolina have decided to, you know, go to war with him. The The two senators in Georgia have already called for his resignation without pointing to any specific claims. Um, you know, you have Lindsey Graham trying to work him to throw out the ballots. And it's just this kind of weird dynamic because currently in Georgia, we're still having them finish their audit, re-canvas and re Recount all in one is how Raffensperger has been putting it. You know, I just listened in on a press conference about that. They're aiming to have the audit done tonight, so we'll probably know the results of it tomorrow. Though this is the beginning of a, a long road in Georgia because after the state certifies its results on the 20th, the losing candidate can still request a recount if it's within 0.5% margin. So we, you know, and the, the cost goes to the counties, not to the Trump campaign. Now, so. does, does the fact that they're, they've just done or about to finish a recount uh, trump that in any way? Does that, does that, he can't say, dude, we already did a recount. Like, nope. like literally we, okay. Legally still on the table, even though blatantly ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we're at in Georgia. <laughs> and like during the recount or during the audit so far, they've had, like you mentioned before, Josh, they have found you know, some ballots that weren't counted or weren't, you know, were on a memory stick that were skipped over, could that kind of stuff. And I think you're definitely right, Josh, that it does seem to be on the higher end of what we've seen before in the, you know, 1,000, 1,500 range. And the election official who was speaking today admitted, you know, he said, that's not great. You want an election to be as close to perfect as possible. But the reality is humans administer elections and these humans happen to be dealing with a much greater influx of mail-in voting than most states were used to. So 
you anticipate some and mistakes. That, and that's why that's why there's th- there are laws that 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 you know there is a legal framework for doing recounts in right. close races because yeah look if you you know if 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 you have a whole state uh, if you have a whole state vote and it's down to like a thousand votes yeah give it another look. There's no harm in that, and that's why those laws exist. And and one of the things, one of the, I think, pretty dishonest uh, limbs that national Republicans have stood on is saying, "Hey, what's the problem in just doing a recount?" There's a re- you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a recount, and they're right. You know, every state has a different different process. Usually it's, you know, you have to be within a certain margin, uh, within a certain very tiny margin. Sometimes it's mandated. Other times, if it's a little wider, uh, if the, if the you know, a candidate can, can agree to pay for it. But again, there's a framework. And, and there's a reason. If it's really close, there can be human error. But it's very different if you are pushing for that while saying, I won because this entire election is rigged. That's different. That's different. You can't do you you know, you can't you can't do both those things because you're already at the point of of you were trying to discredit the election and it's weird. It's it's like a double dipping thing. You're both trying to discredit the election while you while you're also pursuing the sort of the legal framework to recheck it. And, and, you know, and, and one of the things that, uh, and you probably have more details on this, Kate, one of the things that was very notable in uh, Georgia is, you know, they're kind of like, oh, this is terrible. We demand a recount. We, we, we demand a, a, an audit. You know, all, there are all these different kind of levels of basically recounting to, to, to do that. And then, he, and then, and this to your point, this Raffensperger guy, the Secretary of State in Georgia, who's like, you know, kind of enemy number one of Republicans nationwide now, he went beyond what the law required him to do and says, fine, we're going to do the recount, we're going to do the recanvas, we're going to do the audit, you know, the sort of the, 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 the double burger with the works of election, you know, kind of rechecks. And, and then immediately the, the uh, Trump and everybody else like, oh, fuck recounts, man recounts right nice you know because you know so so uh you know that should kind of be a rule like you can request a recount if you agree to abide by the results of the recount you can't do this thing of kind of again this sort of like you know uh double dipping where you say i want the recount and also if it doesn't go my way i'm just gonna say it's still fraudulent and and that's that's what they're doing and and you know to your um the point what you were saying a few moments ago kate I think that the two Senate candidates, the two current incumbent senators who are who are uh, on the ballot, two Republicans, I think they made a big mistake when they asked him to when they demanded he resign, like right out of the gate. Like, wasn't that like a couple days after the election, basically? Um, That didn't get them anything. And I think that that it, it seems clear to me that they he felt that his sort of honor and integrity had been called into question. And since then, he has, I mean, look, give the guy credit. He's following the rules. He's not going for this sort of, you know, all, all this nonsense. But he's clearly gone beyond that in like, you know, calling uh, Collins, who's the, you know, the, it gets a little complicated here. But the Republican in the run, you know, in the in the first round, they call it a jungle primary who actually lost. Uh, he's a, a outgoing member of, of Congress now, um, you know, just saying oh, that guy's a liar. You know, he, he's clear. They clearly got him to the point where his sort of like honor has been challenged and he's like out to get them. I mean, I don't mean out to get them like he's like he's fooling with the numbers, but like he didn't have to out. I mean, shouldn't use that phrase. He didn't have to, uh, you know, kind of drop a dime on Lindsey Graham about that call. He can just say like, you know, this person said something and I said, no, what the, what's the, you know, no harm, no foul. He didn't have to do that. Um, and that was clearly, I, I suspect we will find out that there's other stuff that happened too. And that was his way. It's apparently he's getting like death threats and everything, which frankly does not surprise me remotely. Um, that of, of him saying like, don't push me too far. Right. Don't push me too far. 
No, I think that's totally right. And I think these two Georgia senators were making the calculus of, you know, because this wasn't this was not a full throated attempt to get this guy fired. Like it was they put out one, you know, statement on it and that was it. But it was a clear calculation to show Trump and more importantly for them, Trump supporters, hey, we're in solidarity with you about this, you know, kind of showing their loyalty um, in going after this official who Trump by that point had not even I don't even think he knew who he was. It wasn't right. even on his radar. <laughs> they needed to sort of do a, you know, when um, in, in the military, they have targeters, right? You've got the bazooka and I'm the person who puts the target on yeah. the person you're supposed <laughs> to hit. And they're like targeting this dude right. for Trump. But it's also, and you know, part of this that we haven't, we'll see how it games out over the next few months is what is the effect of telling your voters that the, it doesn't matter. The election's rigged. Your vote didn't count. You know, it's yet to be seen how many Republicans actually believe that that's true and how many are just saying that in a bid to get Trump support or, you know, just to stay in line with the thrust of the party. But Loeffler and Purdue are going to be doing the work of turning out voters in a weird time after we just had a big election where drop off almost always, there's always a big drop off from the people who are voting in the general. And they're going around saying this election was rigged. Your vote didn't count. People who voted for Trump, your vote didn't count. So, you know, we have yet to see what that effect will be. But that is just a very interesting calculus, not to mention that though Republicans have generally shown they don't have a big problem with hypocrisy, now we have Purdue and Loeffler saying, you know, we're in the fight for control of the Senate. If you actually believe Trump is headed for a second term, there is no fight for control of the Senate. So it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense, you know, but I think what what makes it especially hard to kind of take all this that we're talking about and project ahead to see what is going to be the effect on the runoffs, which are happening, the campaigns are happening while this recount stuff is happening, while Raffensperger is enemy number one. It's just really hard to kind of game out what effect that this bad faith stuff will have on it. Because all of the usual, I think, tools that people would use to kind of prognosticate about what will happen to these runoffs um, feel so out of date right now. Because those runoffs didn't happen in conditions like this. Those runoffs didn't happen when the mainstream Republican Party position is that an election was rigged. And so that is going to have some ripple effects that, you know, we'll definitely be keeping our eye on in the next couple months. Yeah, it um, kind of leads me to uh, maybe a question we can end on, which we've gotten lots of reader emails about. And Josh, I'm sure you've you've had you know, people asking on Twitter and stuff like this is just kind of what is the end game for Republicans in this scenario with Trump, with McConnell, with other Republican leaders, with even, you know, Mike Pompeo, who's saying there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Is it all about just protecting Loeffler and Purdue for these Senate runoffs? Is it just about kneecapping Biden so that he can't do anything in office and maybe we'll lose, you know, Democrats will lose more seats in 2022 or so on. But what what is the end game? And Josh, maybe you can start. How do you see it playing out? Or what is what's the ultimate kind of purpose here? Well, I think I think one thing goes to something that that Kate said earlier in this episode, and that is, you know, now that Trump lost, why isn't the magic gone? A, he he loses power to, you know, to to damage people. Um, he he lost. Right. And And kind of especially for a especially for a politician whose movement is based on winning. Every movement wants to win, but his movement is winning. Winning, that is the, you know, the dominance is, is the ideology. So why doesn't, the, why doesn't the magic fade or the hold fade? And I think we see here the reason that he is needed to say, I did not win. I did not lose. I didn't lose. It was stolen from me. So I have the magic. It's just the bad people did something wrong. Now, that is sort of the best he can do to sort of, you know, kind of keep that magic going. But he also creates a situation where if you say, hey, dude, it was, you know, love that presidency thing. So, so sorry, it didn't work out. Suddenly, you're like Brad Raffensperger. You're, you're part of the conspiracy. And so this whole thing allows him 
to remain the sort of the dominant force in the Republican Party. You know, one thing, and I'm not even I, I feel like I need to go back and maybe we should even, you know, David, talk to the editors and maybe Kate, you can look into this. There was a period in the first 72 hours this was going on where like Don Jr. and Eric Trump were like on Twitter saying, where is everybody? Where are the Republicans? What the fuck is going on here? Why are you? And they started calling people out. They even started calling Lindsey Graham out. Like, we are going to remember in 2022, where were you when the president needed you? And everybody started falling into line that they hadn't, they weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't congratulating Joe Biden at that point. They weren't saying anything, but it was kind of clear. They're sort of like, ooh, this is awkward. Just kind of like, you know, kind of something happens at a party. You're like looking the other way. Hope he doesn't say anything to me, right? You know, <laughs> I guess Trump has to leave. But they, they saw they had, to, they had to basically say, this is it. We will, we, we will burn the house down if you are not here for us now. And basically, they got everybody to fall in line. They didn't get everybody to go to sort of Lindsey Graham levels, but they did, they did make, they, they were pretty successful at least until the last two or three days of no one calling uh, Joe Biden president-elect, uh, no one doing the sort of just the stuff of admitting, of admitting reality. And they have all kind of, to different degrees, bought into the line of, uh, of course he's fighting it. Because this was, you know, there are, you know, some say it was stolen, some say it was rigged, others just saying, oh, there's so many questions and stuff. So it's an interesting thing that there was a kind of a wobbly moment there when, when you can see that a lot of Republicans, maybe not diehard Trumpers, but the McConnell, Rubio types, you know, the people who have been there for him at every critical point, but aren't there like, you know, kind of doing little cue signals and stuff like that. They did wobble at first. And basically the president's family and the kind of the the top associates were able to kind of threaten them into line. Which I think kind of reveals two possible motivations then of why these people are willing to go along with the Trump delusion. The first and I think most obvious one based on the son's call to action is that they are very scared of running awry of Trump supporters. They're worried about getting primaried. They're worried that their insufficient loyalty will make them pay political dividends down the road, which in and of itself shows you how effectively Trump has made the party in his image, has you leveraged his cult of personality to make his supporters the most important people in the party, far more important than Republicans who maybe would have preferred just sucking it up, saying that you lost, you know, reveling in the fact that you didn't lose the Senate, kind of moving on. Trump's people are the party now. And I think you can safely say that by the fact that we've only had, you know, the Romneys and the Murkowskis being willing to say that Biden is president-elect. And then the only other possible motivation I can think of, which is honestly much darker, is that by supporting Trump and shredding these norms, you as a Republican lawmaker leave the door open to questioning your own electoral loss if it should come about. You now have a escape hatch of saying, this election was rigged. I'm going to fight it with all the litigative muscle I can muster. I'm going to stir up conspiracy theories around every miscounted ballot and every dead voter on the roll. And it leaves you squishiness to possibly not have to lose if you do. Um, and I think either of those being the primary motivators are just so dangerous you know, the second one in an obviously anti-democratic way, and the first in that it's just such solid proof that this authoritarian strain of the Republican Party, which came to its full power in the figure of Trump, regardless of his loss, that is where the party is is now. You know, that is who is steering the party. And 
the fact that Trump lost decisively and those people are still bringing lawmakers to their knees pretty much shows you where the party is headed. And it is certainly not for any reckoning with the Trump years. Yeah, no 2012 autopsy saying that Right. Republicans need to reach out to, you but know, again, you immigrants. See, you see the brilliance, and, yeah. the sort of the brilliance of Trump. Why there's no need for an autopsy if you won. And and that is the sort of the premise. He won and it was stolen from him. So there's no need for an autopsy. You need to fight harder on his behalf. I mean, it is this thing where he has created this construct where if you say, dude, just take the L, you lost, come on you become, you're like functionally a Democrat, basically. You become part of the conspiracy against him. And and one of the things, and this is something maybe we can talk about next week, one of the things that um, I think we will have to watch over the coming months and into the coming years, possibly with a view to towards uh, 2024, is does this become a divisive issue within, the, you know, within the Republican Party where... Um, you have you have a a big majority of the country, which you do now, basically saying Biden won. Not everybody likes that he won, but he won. And if if they're still demand, you know, if 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 Trump is making this demand, does everybody in the party fall in line? And does does that damage Republican candidates? I'm even I'm I'm even I think that that may come into play in this in these senate races right i mean these senate races are not around the corner they're in the early january that's that's a while from now it's almost two months um and i'm not saying it'll hurt the republicans but i do think it's going to be a basic dynamic because you know we're coming up now uh a lot of uh, a lot of certification deadlines are coming up in the next few days um i believe the electoral college meets on December 8th, if I have that right. And I think that it, th- that the uh, Congress receives the Electoral College votes on December 14th. So relatively soon, you're going to get to the point where it is literally done. Like the, he is like, you know, the, the constitutional process says Joe Biden is the next president. And you're still going to have Trump out there saying, oh, I won, I won. And so like in late December, is that going to just start to create some, 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 some problems? For Republicans, if if um, if they're still saying, yeah, uh, Trump won, does that kind of become a problem, at least with some sliver of Georgia voters saying like, dude, what is, you know, if 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 that Loeffler woman is out there saying like, you know, our real president, I'll, I'll follow what he says. So that's going to be an issue. And we're going to have to, you know, keep an eye on that. Yeah, that sounds like a good place to leave it this week. Well, remember, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. You can uh, purchase some of their wonderful product at Grady'sColdBrew.com, and you can get 20%, 25% off your first order uh, with the promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with the promo code TPM. All right. Take care, guys. Later. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.